0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 185. Jason Lingren was with me, and I actually gave David Weiss a call and asked him to come on. You know, Jason and I don't have a marketing department. We don't even want a marketing department. But if Crow Triple Seven had a marketing department, David Weiss would be the head of that non-existent fantasy department. He has done things like show up at some of the biggest flat earth conventions and other places and tell an entire audience that if they're not subscribed to Crow Triple Seven Radio, they're missing the boat. So I appreciate that. And before we get David in here, welcome, Jason. And a fine good morning it is. Indeed. Uh, we still got that uh, tropical storm buzzing around off the coast, but I think that leaves tomorrow. We've had some, uh, some real surf here and uh, finally got some water where we needed, but to get to the point, uh, what do we have for the intro? We don't have any NYC stuff. Oh, you, you may have something.
1: Yes, I'm going to be appearing, along with David Weiss, in fact, at the Flat Earth International Conference 2019 in Dallas, Texas. November 15th is when I will be giving my presentation on the social engineering of our worldview, space, and space travel. I hope to see you there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I should go to that thing. I was under the impression the earth was a spinning globe. I wonder if I could learn anything by showing up there. Um, At any rate,
2: anything else?
1: No, it's time for David.
2: Mr. Weiss, welcome aboard the good ship Crow. Thanks for having me. I am honored to be here. And I'm going to let it slide that you didn't point out that there's two R's in Crow because we are (laughs) preaching to your audience. But when you're on any other show, you're going to hear from me if you don't mention the two R's. Yeah, I get 10
0: emails a month from David Weiss saying, what the hell, I just heard you on a show and you didn't tell people there's two R's. So I, I do, I, I honestly, I try to make an effort. At first, I would just do a search for Crow with one R and I'd still get where I was going, but everyone knows how search engines work. Um, you know, if, if, you're, if you're not exposed to my material already and you search for me, you may not find me. As a matter of fact, uh, a big channel did just mention me and people in the comments section said they'd been searching for Crow 777 and couldn't find me. I found that a bit astounding. Someone in that forum finally linked. But anyhow, guys, we got a bit of time here. Let's see if we can say something common sense. Let's see if we can say something intelligent to spur a mind, to open a door, to lay a foundation for something more for the average person in listening. Uh, I'll throw it to you, Jason. Uh, You got any good places to start here?
1: Yeah, I think it would be interesting to discuss where we came from and how we got to where we're at now from all three of our points of view, because they're going to be different.
2: Okay, you want to take a stab at that, David? Yeah, I mean, I'll give you the, the quick summary. Um, I started out with the Federal Reserve and some other, you know, deceptions from vaccines and, and other stuff. But it was the, the Federal Reserve that, that got me going. I was talking about it with a buddy at the corporation that I worked at. And we people would gather around us in the lunchroom every day, and we started drawing a bigger and bigger crowd. And uh, my buddy Tim's like, hey, we have an opportunity to do a podcast out of Manhattan. And we called it Deep Inside the Rabbit Hole, where we dove down that rabbit hole with all of the big events that we can't mention in hour one. And uh, in the third year of that, people started sending me Flat Earth stuff. And as I've said a million times, I refuse to watch a one minute video because it's nonsense. Now I'm the host of the Flat Earth podcast. (laughs) We'll just leave it (laughs) at that. And uh, that's my journey in a nutshell.
1: What teed you off in the first place? You said it was the Federal Reserve. What was the thing that made you go, something's not right here?
2: I guess just in uh, looking around, you know, I, I always wondered how money was created and um, I looked into the Federal Reserve and, you know, I actually back then listened to Infowars and got a little bit of truth out of there and was able to weed out the nonsense. And then I kind of evolved from there. You know, then all of the big events started happening and I started looking into those. The event in New York in September was the was the first one. And it took, I actually saw that from my beach. I have a perfect shot of uh, lower Manhattan and it was a perfectly clear day. But it took me four years before I started really digging in and understood what didn't happen.
1: All right. That's a good place to start that. Maybe we should bop it over to Crow for a second. What was your first aha moment?
0: I think I'm kind of an odd duck because I I don't really have an aha moment per se. Um, It's been the whole time that I've been here and old enough to be thinking on my own. I was a misfit. I, I didn't like school, but I liked to learn. And I was constantly questioning if I had, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, trying to search for maybe a point, that aha moment. And the one thing that came to mind that kind of is and kind of isn't that aha moment was my father had given me a copy of The Hobbit, I think when I was in the summer of sixth grade. And when I read that, I was so taken aback. It was a big deal back back then. I got into The, the Lord of the Rings and I burned through that. And the whole time, when I got to the end, you know, you get to the end where the uh, in the backs of those books, there's whole languages and family trees constructed. And I kept thinking, there, you know, why why would anyone do this just for the sake of energy? There's got to be something more. Is he talking about a real time? Is he expressing something more? And I thought about that for decades of my life after, until I became old enough and a bit wiser to understand that nothing in this world is mutually exclusive. Knowing full well now, to echo. Dave's ideas, that uh, there's a reason the second book is called The Two Towers. Um, These things are not lost on me anymore. So I think it was a series all the way through my life of not really fitting in and accepting what everyone around me was just saying, oh, this is entertainment. I don't have that, that universal aha moment. It was just questioning everything all the time, to the point where you kind of feel like you don't belong until you get old enough to realize that that doesn't matter. But maybe that's the closest I can come.
1: You know, there's an interesting parallel we can draw there, and both of you can chime in on this point. Tolkien created the Sylvan language, which is the language of the elves first, because he was a language scholar, very interested in language in all ways, shapes, and forms. And then he wrote a story to wrap around it he fabricated a history to go along with the language he created. And thus we had the creation of The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, the Silmarillion, and all the other things that went along with that. And we have a similar thing that we all, three of us, look at, and that's the falsification of history. And I do pose the question, was this a test run of some sort? Maybe someone got the idea for this from Professor
0: Tolkien? Something's going on here. Well, you... See, lightning in a bottle, which is what that was, basically. You know, Look look what's come of those things. Now Hollywood owns the rights, and you know they're big-time entertainment. People who were into the original books back in the day had no inkling of the things that we're aware of now, but let's logically look at it. Now, I forget whether it was Oxford or Cambridge. I want to say Oxford. Um, this is where world leaders are made, but what we can see is one of his good friends, C.S. Lewis, is going to bust out The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So we're going to have two of these iconic tomes, um, from their ground zero right there at Oxford. And it tells you a little bit of something, you know, well, why does everything come from this place at this time? Um, and we can do similar things. If we look at books like uh, Dune now I'm harping on Dune a lot lately. Um, because I, when I got here in Rhode Island, I reread it again. Um, the ones from the father, not the ones from the son. Actually, I did read a couple of the ones from the son. I'm not, really all about those but i kept coming back to the idea of the butlerian jihad which i mentioned so often at first being kind of taken aback uh that someone in the 50s would have the foresight to even have this offhand idea that's never fully expressed in the book that there's a galaxy-wide war around technology the war is won and anyone found with a computer after the fact can be put to death or technology of this kind machines that think for you basically Yet, the Bene Gesserit witches and the other royalty or powers-to-be secretly keep computers in case they need them. Um, but I keep coming back to these ideas, but with Tolkien, I don't think there's any any. You know, we're not splitting hairs here. What are the odds that we're going to get these two friends that are going to do these iconic books? And now we know, you know, a second book named The Two Towers, the parallels that we can put together now. These books, for me, are no different than 1984, uh, just at a different level. They're no different than Animal Farm or any of these other things. And when we look at the entirety of our entertainment driven society now, where all of our minds are warped by entertainment. And this is a, a choice we make for ourselves, basically. Nobody's forcing us to, to digest entertainment in the way we do. I've taken time to tell you what the word means, You know, to, to enter, to go in and hold your mind. It's the purpose of entertainment. Um, we can see how entertainment pre-echoed so many of the, the issues that are paramount concerns in our world now. It's going on right now. There are videos circulating the web talking about the 3rd of November, uh, some big event's going to happen in in Seattle. This is wholly driven by entertainment, people going back through entertainment and finding these things. And it's a double-edged sword. It's a catch-22. I don't know about you, but I can't tell you what's going to happen on the 3rd of November. I have no way to understand certainly what's going to happen. I see what people are doing, but then I see the response from the powers that be. Well, now all the roads are getting closed and the fear porn is ramping up and and these ideas. But at the base of it all, we live in a world that's been driven by a stage, basically. So if we go back to look, knowing all we know now at things that are so famous in our world, like the uttered worlds, all the worlds, a stage, is there anyone out there listening who can argue with that? even your birth name is a person. It's a persona. It's not you. You're a living man or woman listening to this. Your name given you at birth, formed into a corporation that will bind you to all these legal fictions in this world is just a character on a stage if you logically break it out. So I know I kind of rambled there a bit, but I think These are common sense ideas that people can bring to bear because when you turn on that TV and the show comes on, the movie comes on, when you pick up that famous book that you've been meaning to read all your life, it's a lot more than you think it is in most cases. Um, And it has directly
2: to do with where we find ourselves now, I guess. I was a huge fan of Dune. I read the book and then I saw the movie and you look into things like like that much deeper than I do. I'm sure there's a ton of meaning, but would you think that the biggest programming purpose of that movie is just to get people to believe in other planets and places in the sky?
0: Well, there's so many levels. There always is. Um, I view the book Dune, the original one's written by the the senior, Herbert, as a one-to-one allegory for how our world actually works, how people come to power, how power is wielded. He doesn't even make thin veils. He, he calls one portion of those leaders, he changes their gender and calls them Benny Gesserit witches. Doesn't take a genius to put together what he's allegorizing there. Um, it's the Jesuit order, of course, who are considered mostly male, so he shuffled it around, but the ideas are in your face. And of course, yeah, man, we're going off this spinning globe. We're gonna do the Star Trek 1966 Star Trek thing back in the 50s. We're gonna condition the human mind that has never seen any of the things we're about to describe or show you, Captain Kirk's going to show you, what it looks like to be in a starship, what it looks like to orbit a planet, what it looks like to go hyperspeed or light speed or whatever they want to call it. These are fictions. They're no different than the legal fiction that is your name. It's just that for most human beings, when they're told a thing over and over and over and over, that becomes the reality. And therein is the trap. That's what steals your humanity from you. You're imbued with the divine spark. And in that divine spark, you are given a very critical thing. It's called freedom of choice. And that's what we surrender. And when we surrender these things, you can almost imagine the powers that be saying, look at these low animals. Don't even have enough godly humanity in their bodies to stand up and do the things a human being should do. Like exert freedom of choice. And yet we're given all these fictitious systems. A couple of the most powerful things in this fictitious systems we live in is the offer and the claim. If there's something more powerful than a claim, I'm not sure what it might be at this point. And you see, this is where we run into trouble. In episode 183, which will be behind us by the time this airs, you'll find out that your actual spark of life was abandoned at sea because you didn't make a claim on it. When your damn car insurance comes next month, it's going to say boldly on the face of it, here's the offer. Human beings don't have to accept offers. Human beings can make claims. And these are the things that are leveraged against us. And entertainment plays such a hefty role in convincing us to act in other ways you know it's it's hard to define the ideas we're talking about but e- even if we go to the sh- the social ideas of cultures um, you'll notice that most aboriginal cultures or indigenous cultures that were close to nature those were taken apart wholesale with intent for a reason because those minds are not prepared for all this fictitious living they are working from the truth nature you think of like jewish cultures to this day they bought mitzvah and bar mitzvah their children What would this world be if all the cultures around did a similar thing, whether you were American or Italian or any of these things? I think uh, in in Mexico, they have a similar thing with the quinceanera, where they're informing these young minds, it's time to put away your childish things. Well, the rest of us have come through a different system where we were never told to put away our childish things officially with a ceremony, with an idea, with a cultural construct that binds you to the people you belong to. And so who does that? Well, I'm sorry to tell you, all us pudgy people in floaty chairs are getting that from Hollywood, from our movies, our culture here in the West where I exist. And I can't speak for the entirety of the world doesn't exist outside of. I like some TV shows and I watch some movies so you can see what we're pointing at here, but it's kind of a rant maybe.
1: You forgot how many tattoos and piercings they
0: have. (laughs) I guess that's your tribal choice too, but I'm here to tell you, you might not admire those things so much when you're 80, if you're fortunate enough to get there.
1: So before we move on, I would like to analyze the full quote that you partially said. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts his acts being seven
0: ages. So there's a prime example of the idea I just talked about, about some certain cultures in our world still telling their children, hey, man, it's time for you to grow up now. Having their seven stages is exactly that, uh, from my point of view. It's one of the many meanings in in that statement, in that well-known set of ideas that you just expressed. Because in the beginning of those seven steps, you're young, you're a child you see how that works. And so they're breaking it up. And if I remember correctly, I looked at this once, I think it's the moon that delineates. In the same way we can tie the lunar cycles to menstrual cycles for women and all kinds of things that go on with the biology of a woman, it's also been used in indigenous cultures to relate the phases of the life of a man. And that's what's being referenced there. But at the base of what you said, you were told the truth. You're on a damn stage. You're you're a fictitious person. Your name is a fiction. It has nothing to do with the reality of the living man or woman. And with that legal fiction, you're going to have an ego, and your ego is going to tell you things like, I don't want to be looked at as silly, or I don't want to be in a place where I don't have friends. Your ego is going to drive you to do all these things that are separate from the true reality that you can seek as a human being. And just to put a fine point on it, I don't accept that the author, we're told, wrote that, wrote that.
2: Thoughts, David? That was a long one. Um that was that's very interesting. Um I, I kind of agree with everything you say. There's not much to add to that. You know, these iconic
0: things that show up in our cultures that get echoed over and over and over, these are the things to examine closely. Because if a thing becomes a cliche, there's a reason for it. Either people who wanted those ideas to dominate your mind keep pushing them forward in a movie or in an ad or in something that's going to affect human minds, or simply people have chosen that that has deep meaning. So we're going to keep saying it over and over and over. But you see, there's foundational root meanings in these things that are critically important. It's just that we forget common sense a lot as human beings. If we get back to common sense, we'll never go wrong. If the first thing out of the gate you try to
2: apply is common sense, you're, you're on the right path from my point of view. It's very interesting in our world, the the amount of Choices that they've limited us to—they've really narrowed down choices. Like when you're a little kid and you see something for the first time, you have to interpret it. And then as you get older, everything that you see, you react to it in a way that you've learned from experiencing it, whether in a movie, a TV show, or or watching somebody else. Nobody laughed when somebody fell off a ladder or got hit in the head with a board until the Three Stooges. But now that's a funny thing, which it's it's not a funny thing, but. People laugh at it because they've been programmed to do that. And what I've come to realize is the, how easy it is to program a mind to think a certain way. It, it, it's insane. And the, the saying, there's nothing new under the sun, if you really pay attention, they're recycling the same things again and again and again and limiting the amount of choice that we have. Two things here. In the myth series and the archetypes that Jason
0: and I covered, we demonstrated or tried to demonstrate to the best of our ability. There's only so many stories here and that human beings cannot make up a truth. The truths exist here in nature. Nature defines what is true. It's just a human being's part to recognize what's always been here, and that can become truth. I've recently said that the moment a thing becomes arguable, it's instantly not true. If you want to get tied up in politics or (laughs) laws or lawyers where everything gets argued, you better walk into the room with some common sense and understand everything that's about to happen has no truth because the end definition that you walk away from is going to be the result of an argument where either the strongest voice or the the most held up reason is going to end up being what is accepted as the definition you see the truth of the truth is that when you look up at a blue sky there is no arguing it it is what it is that's a truth When you walk into a courtroom and there's a judge and a lawyer who are going to argue, everything that's about to happen there is a fiction. The outcome will be a fiction. These things, when you get back to a higher human mind and you begin to assess things beyond the reach of entertainment, beyond the reach of programming, but to get to a more critical point about what you just said, is it's really not them or they or some nebulous entity limiting our choices. It is us limiting our own choices. Because we have the divine spark, and the proof of it is is that you're here breathing. You have the divine spark, and with that came freedom to choose. In the age that we're about to go into of high technology and artificial intelligence and being tracked every single step of every single day, and I mean tracked at a level that is unimaginable, because even the things you haven't done yet will be known quantities by the data that's been collected previously. When you begin to understand these things, it is freedom of choice that you have surrendered, and that is one of the main things that really truly separates human beings from animals. And yet, what's going on here? It's like your your Three Stooges thing. Somebody's been hurt. You know, they got hit with a hammer. How is that comedy? We see the same thing all over YouTube and the fail videos and the the ridiculous shows where the the most horrendous things are shown, and everybody's response is to laugh. That is programming. But I, I think. We should own what we need to own. Nobody's forcing
2: us to take that programming. The way I see it is the the way that they are able to do this, they have us confused. They make us believe that we live on this spinning ball flying through space, that we're nothing. Um, And that limits our choices. That limits um, our power. Then they keep us with programming you know, on the news and stuff in fear. You're going to hit by an asteroid. A plague is going to happen. The economy is going to collapse, all of this stuff. So now you're in fear. You're in a prison, uh, ball planet, and you're being programmed with movies and, and all of this stuff. So you, you have very little ability um, to think it until you see through the veil. You see the wizard behind the curtain. And once you do, everything changes. I've experienced it. And I've seen it happen for other people. Once you see, the magic no longer works. Owen Benjamin made a, a great quote. And he, he said, the clarity of your thought is so much better when you have a world that makes sense. And, uh, and I've, I've really found that true. I think that um, people that are depressed, there's a lot of reasons to be depressed, but people that are depressed, it's because of their loss. They're spinning through an endless universe. They mean nothing. And deep down in their soul, something is wrong and they just can't put it together. I don't know anybody that has awakened to the reality that we're not on a spinning ball that's depressed. I know a lot of people that are in financial trouble. They're in all sorts of stuff, but they're not depressed because they're awake, more awake to the reality than the general population. So let's look at these ideas and let me be the devil's advocate here. I'm going to be
0: the bad guy, the guy in the ivory tower somewhere in this world making decisions for a lot of humanity. Look at those stupid people out there. They they don't even have enough of a divine spark in them to lift up and recognize and do godly things that would make them a higher human. Now, I'm going to flip back and I'm going to be the common man or woman. You know, I went into this these woods and I got caught in a bear trap. I couldn't possibly have detected it, yet I was caught in a bear trap. There's two sides of what we're talking about. In my view, the person who walked into the woods never having a prayer To know that they were going to be trapped, had universal law violated against them. But once you've been caught in the damn trap, what are you going to do now? Now you know certainly beyond the reasonable shadow of doubt there are traps in these woods. You know it because you've been caught in one. From that point forward, everything should have changed for you. Now I'm going to flip back and be the evil genius in the Dark Tower. Look at these idiots, ma'am. They walk in the woods. They get caught in traps. They drag the trap along with them, and they go step in another trap. They don't even deserve to be here as human beings in this world. Now I'm going to flip back and be the common man or woman. I'm in the woods, and I've got my leg caught in the trap. The truth of it is there's going to be a bunch of different kinds of people. Some people are going to try to act like there was no trap. Some people are going to know they were trapped, and they're going to scream and yell and cry and beg for help because I'm caught in a trap. Some people are going to say, damn, I can't imagine there was traps here. Fact is, I got trapped, and I'm never going to be fooled again. Now let's go to where the truth resides in nature. I recently saw a show about the sika deer in Hokkaido, which is the northernmost part of Japan, where they precious, short, warm months. These sika deer are among the toughest animals that I've ever seen. It's unimaginable what these sika deer have to go through. They head into winter with all the women pregnant for one thing. You imagine that. These are brutal winters. Uh, The food that they have to eat is buried under three feet of snow, typically. But here's how their life cycle plays out. The males come for the rut because they have to provide for the next generation, just like human beings. We have to provide for the next generation. They have these battles to determine who is the fittest of the males to ensure That that next generation will get the fittest males providing the best chance for the brutal conditions that they're going to have to endure. So we can come back to the evil tower. We can come back to the common man or woman in the forest where the bear traps reside. And we can begin to apply these ideas that we now know are true because nature showed us they are true. The problem becomes that we're going to begin to ask questions like, well, we're not animals. The Sika deer are animals. We're human beings. I'm going to go back to the dark tower. Look at those stupid people down there. They know we did 9-11. They didn't do nothing about it. They're standing there with bear traps on their legs, and they're not doing anything about it. They're not human beings. Now, I'm not advocating for any one side of what I've just laid down, but I'm pointing out the common sense, factual truth of how we can dissect what we're seeing. And at the root of it, the most important root of it is I went to the one place I know where truth resides in nature. To try to make sense of what men and women do, which is constantly arguable and therefore without truth for the most part. So that's what I guess I can offer because that's how I would
2: examine an issue like that that seems like it's too big to get your arms around. My point being that once you see that there's a bear trap, whether you got caught in it or not. Um, you're going to f- try to free yourself from it, and then you're going to walk cautiously through the woods, maybe probing with a stick or whatever it takes, and be more aware and know the world around you. And uh, for me, you know, since I've discovered uh, that we don't live on a spinning water ball rocket, life is so interesting. Uh, there's never a moment where I'm bored. Uh, if I have insomnia, I'm happy because then I could look into more things. It's a blessing to wake up for, you know, it might be depressing for a short period of time, but as soon as you get through that, it's super empowering. And when I say empowering, I mean, it really does give you your power back. You know, it's an interesting thing when you begin to admit things that you know can be proven true.
0: Like there really is no easy way. If you're on something moving, uh, there's really no easy way to determine whether it's you that's moving or what you're looking at. These even go into Einstein's ideas who I don't accept, by the way. Point is, it's everywhere, and it's recognized as a true thing. But when this whole, you know, I put out the lunar wave, and the the whole flat Earth thing kicked off, and at first I didn't know what to make heads or tails of it. But I knew there was something to it, because I knew that things were not true. I knew the moon was not what I had been told it was, among other things. And I think that's why that video clip contributed to people questioning. But I did a couple things. At first, I was thinking, what, can, what common sense action can I take to make heads or tails of this? It took me a while to come to the thought to get my best telephoto lens with a doubler and go look to see if I could see too far, which I did and I could, which didn't give me all the answers I wanted. All it told me was the curvature model is not right, that someone took the time to lie about that for some reason. It didn't give me the new map I want that everyone wants, um, but I did a thing before that that I haven't really talked about much. Where I used to set up my telescope, there was like a little slab of concrete, and I went out, and I cleared my mind, I meditated for a moment, and I stood there, and I shut my eyes and faced my face towards the sun, and I imagined that I was on a spinning ball, and everything I'd been told in school and everything NASA had ever shown me was true, and I imagined myself in that environment for a reasonable amount of time. And then I stopped, I went in, had some lunch, came out sometime later. I did the same thing. I meditated. I cleared my mind. I shut my eyes. I faced my face to the sun, and I imagined that I was on a stationary plane. And at that moment, all I can tell you is it's the last time I felt unbalanced in this world. Suddenly, I found, and this was before I went out with the telephoto lens, I found a stationary, stable place that I now existed and knew to be true, not because I could see it. Not because I knew some certain thing from some other source, but deep within inside me in the highest moral court that I have between me and my creator, I recognized that suddenly I was stable. And so I invite people. Maybe you can try to do that, and it might show value to you. But these are the problems that we face. Sometimes there is no easy way to get the answer we want. I'm still waiting for the damn map. Maybe I'll live long enough to see it. Are
2: you suggesting that if you believe that you're on a spinning ball whirling in eight different directions at once, it'll make you unstable in life? You're on a spin cycle by
0: design, (laughs) and just to put it bluntly. Yeah, of course. Um, There's no stability. And not only that, you're insignificant. And not only that, it's going to deny you of the real truth that this place we exist here. um, Plenty of songs that we've all heard tell you the truth. This place exists for us. It's why it's here. And the idea that there's a magic red button that could destroy this place is laughable. Alchemy proves that that is not possible for anyone who wants to go back to the truer natural sciences that only achieved within the scope of
2: what the natural world will live. They, they teach us these things if we can get back beyond the nonsense of our time. One other quote I want to mention is ben from the, my buddy Ben from the channel Taboo Conspiracy. He recently did a presentation in, I think it was Romania, And he really spelled out how the earth works, you know, the spinning ball versus the flat earth and laid out all the details. And the quote he said was, he goes, you know, that we don't live on a spinning globe because if we did, we'd all be dead.
0: (laughs) You know, Jason and I, you know, I've never been a part of the flat earth community. And the reason is, is because I'm my own guy. I want my own original thoughts. I want to try to come up with something that matters. I don't want to be influenced. I don't want to try to have to siphon through, is this nonsense, is it not? And so I've chosen to kind of wall myself in this way. But when the Flat Earth community was kicking off, I recognized the value in it. And the truth of it is, when Jason and I did the one show that kind of addressed this, the one thing I chose to put forward was the speeds we're giving. You know, we're spinning faster than the speed of sound on the axis. And then we're spinning in a big arc around a thing, uh, so many times more than a .30-06 rifle bullet. Then that whole conglomeration is spinning many, many, many times the speed of a .30-06 rifle bullet around something bigger. And then you get out to the galaxy, and that's even going quicker. And by the way, you are so small and insignificant as not to matter that everything is expanding. In other words, all imaginary planets are getting further and further away from us at every moment which is all provably logical nonsense for a common mind. But the problem is, is it doesn't give us what we really want. What we want is to know certainly where are we? How did we get here? How long have we been here? Show me a map of this damn place, please. Isn't that a birthright? That's what we really want. And to put a fine point on it, I'm reasonably convinced that we can pin the date of 1620 and just for the sake of conversation, I don't accept the historical date timeline, but we've got to say words to communicate somehow. 1620 is about the time these ideas came to bear, courtesy of the Vatican, of all places. And it has directly
2: to do with the placing of Easter on the calendar, which I may cover in depth at some point. With all of all those uh, speeds that you mentioned and directions, the thebusinessinsider.com just put out an article, I think it was yesterday... And it says, you can't feel it, but we're rocketing through space at 1.3 million miles per hour. Then they go on to say, that's because the Earth is orbiting the sun, which is orbiting the center of the galaxy, which is barreling through the cosmic wind of radiation released during the Big Bang. They're saying these as facts. And then they show a picture of what that looks like. And they say... The line below the picture is a simple animation created by the <laughs> planetary scientist James <laughs> O'Donohue. puts the whole thing in perspective. They admit that they're pictures, that they're animations, but they say you know, this is how we imagine it to be. This is how it would look. They have nothing and people just eat it up. You know, they gave themselves an Emmy recently. Are you going to be a marshmallow in a floaty chair? Are you going to grow the hell up? The moment you see
0: an animation, you know we've recounted uh, the first full feature animation was Walt Disney's Snow White. People told him he was insane. Why would you bother? These are childish cartoons. This is never going to work. And Walt told his Imagineers as they were putting all this together, here's the benchmark, boys and girls, actually mostly boys, I'm sure, at that point in the room. If we put this film together, it will live or die on our ability to make the audience cry. For the first time in history, we're going to put hand-drawn, childish images in front of adult human beings, and our benchmark for success is if those adult minds leave the damn world of reality and cry for non-existent, childish, cartoon hand-drawn images. And guess what? Walt pulled it off. Got his benchmark. Wasn't a dry eye in the theater. We had left the world of reality, Oz was in the the front viewfinder, and we were well on our way to the Emerald City.
1: I would suggest that the box in which one may live is a box of self-exile. I agree. Right. And I have to ask how it seems that more younger people are into these concepts of awakening, if you want to call it that, than older folks, or do you think either one of you think that that's not actually true,
2: that there are more older folks. I'll take a stab at that. The reason that people our age, Crow, might be more difficult to wake up is because we have those childhood memories of the moon landing, and, and we're all good people. You know, the, the world is not a world of hate and division that they're trying to convince us people are trusting and and we as children were programmed with hey this is happening it's the greatest thing ever pride these are core beliefs and feelings that are deep within inside of us so when you go to somebody our age and go hey the moon landing was fake don't even throw out that the world is flat they're going to absolutely flip out unless for some reason they have a critical mind and you know, there's a lot of factors in that. It, how much fluoride they have in their system, uh, that, that's one. You know, how many vaccines that they have? How open are their minds? How willing are they to listen? And uh, all of these matter. So you know, kids are open to new ideas. They're not as heavily programmed. However, I, I've tested it a bunch of times on uh, kids in uh, elementary school, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And I've said to them, I've thrown out there, hey, Did you ever hear about the flat earth? They absolutely flip out because they've been programmed, you know, since kindergarten and before about the spinning ball. So it depends on when you get in there and when you can when you can break that programming. What are your thoughts on that? You know, it's not an easy thing for human beings to admit they've been duped, and that's an ego thing as
0: well. Um, when you grow above that, it has less pull, and so older people have a lifetime to forget. Not forget, yeah. but to deal with. That's part of it. But I'll also say the demographic on my website goes well up into the 70s. <clears throat> I can't tell you how many emails I've received in the course of the however many years we've been doing this from people that are well older than I am saying everything's changed for me now, but to get back to the young folk. Man, I do not envy them. I know what it was like to be young and it's not easy, man. It is not easy growing up. First of all, you don't have that cultural thing where everyone comes together and says, Guess what? You're done being a kid today. Everything changes today. Put away your childish things. Join the world and view things in a different way. How how many people in our society right now, you know, we, we did this one day where we asked, when did you truly feel grown up? I think I was well into my thirties before I even started to have an inkling of whether I felt like I was an adult yet. That's ridiculous. A 30-year-old person in their 30s, mid-30s, thinking about whether they're grown up or that's just, it's utter ridiculousness. But the the young people now, man, when I was their age, the main concerns were don't be doing stupid things and don't ruin your life with drugs. Those were probably the two biggest issues. Where I grew up, I would estimate more than half of the people I grew up with ruined their life with drugs. Drugs was... The be-all and end-all shaping factor of the 80s where I was, it was a party in full swing and sanctioned for the most part by the powers that be because it went on everywhere. Point is, now these young people are just bombarded, man. There is a screen. There is a cell phone. There is a movie. There is virtual reality. There's a scary thing coming on the horizon. Um, So much to contend with. But these are new lives that came to be in the era after where I marked the awakening sometime around 2000. So they do have a true leg up. How many young people do you know now where they can do things their parents could never do? They can play music at a level or can create artworks at a level that their parents couldn't touch. These are reflections, I think, of of the possibility in it. But it's a... It's a scary time for those young people because the powers that be are going to create the iPhone 11, the iPhone 911, the iPhone 11 911, the iPhone 11 nine 911 9, 9, 9, 9 and it's never going to stop and pretty soon virtually it's going to be just what we had but in a more intense technical way and it's going to be a thing to see I, I don't I have no idea how this comes out. But at the end of the day, you know, we're all here talking about this because we hope it turns out better than what we've seen to date. Well, the big difference today, I would say,
1: than say when I was growing up and I'm 46 years old. So there was no Internet as a teenager or my early 20s. But I always challenged things. But if I wanted to know anything, what would I have to do? Ask somebody who should be in the know, quote unquote, or go to a library and get a book. So today, if someone wants to challenge things, they can just go on the Internet and look. However, it's difficult, especially if you're just starting out, to really swim through the mass of information that is out there and try and figure out what's the BS from not the BS. And I don't envy somebody a task for the first time that they start snapping awake to things. And that's an interesting thing to think about when you're young and probably very confused about a lot of things in life, to also have this sort of information thrown at you in a way you realize something's wrong, you go to look. And there's a lot of good, but also a lot of bad.
0: You know, I, I just recently saw an interesting thing. Uh, there was some shots of the Casbahs in Morocco, and I immediately noticed nobody was on devices. And I was like, this had to have been shot a long time ago. And I saw some of the cars that let me know, no, this is now. And I was tuned in a little bit. Here in the United States, we seem to be the ground zero for everything that's about to happen. If it can be done to the great United States, home of the free and the brave, it can be done anywhere. Um, We've covered how all this crap that we're going to contend with was invented in Silicon Valley, ported out to communist China, put in place. Meanwhile, the president's in for life now, so maybe it's not communist. It's a dictatorship. Who the hell knows? Point is, now it's coming back our way. Uh, you, You can see what's happened here. But here... One of the biggest damages that I see is the digital fence that we've built. When you drive down the street now, nobody's even aware that they're in a natural world. They got their face on a screen. And while this probably helps you keep better connected with your immediate loved ones, it keeps you separated on a human level from all the new people you might meet in a day. I could just keep thinking of that Casbah. I remember there was an African-American guy because he'd left New York to go live in Morocco And he said, you know, when I was in New York, it was a whole different world. He goes, here, when I walk out in the morning, chances are the first person I meet that day is going to shape the rest of my day. And I was thinking about these things. And this is another effect of technology and the idea of the cell phone. You know, if I could snap my fingers and get rid of two things in this world, the first thing that would leave would be the news. The second thing that would leave would be handheld cell phones. And there's another side of this thing. Is it possible that if we weren't all using cell phones, some of us would be talking mind-to-mind by now? The natural trajectory for a human being has to be the Superman idea. I mean, how many times have you watched a, a video, even even animals? How many clips on YouTube have you seen a bulldog riding a skateboard on a ramp the way a skateboard on a ramp is supposed to be used? If you would have showed footage like that in the 70s, you'd have been a damn millionaire if you owned that dog. We're not the only ones in this world. That are coming to a new level. But this digital onslaught, you know, these are choices that we make. And unfortunately, that's another thing
2: the young generation is going to have to come to terms with or not. Agreed. On that note, you know, I, I totally agree with that, that it is limiting our natural abilities. However, it depends on how you use it. Now, I use my digital gear to help wake up people. I think I have a positive effect for it, but yeah, I'm on it too much. I see people out in restaurants and I look at the couple and they're both on their phones. I, I try not to touch my phone when I'm out. I don't. I don't not only yeah. do I not, I use it for calls that
0: very rarely when I have to, but I'll point out another thing. I've never used an app, although I did design an app. And after I designed the app, I realized what a piece of tracking crap it was and killed the app, but I don't use GPS. I grew up my whole life knowing how to get to places. Um, that's another thing I'm not going to do. There's certain things technology really helps us with,
2: and there's certain things where the price we're going to pay for it is not proportionately equal. GPS has made me bad at knowing on where I'm going. I, I rely on the GPS, so I stop learning the roads as much. So I try to make an effort to you know pay attention to where I'm going rather than just follow the blue line and listen to what the lady says. Never use GPS once in my life, never will, never will use an app, uh,
0: never will use a handheld device ever again for anything more than a phone call or maybe an occasional text. By the way, I was just notified that my cell phone will no longer work on the network here shortly, which I mean assume means they're going to 5G. And at that point, I will literally go to a clamshell, flip phone, jitterbug-type phone that basically make phone calls. And for a lot of people, this is unthinkable, and there's the difference in age. I mean, we had a fine world before any of this technology got here. And by the way, there was a hell of a lot more freedom. And by the way, there was a hell of a lot more happiness. Not kidding. And by the way, all the products we had were more quality, among other things. So many reasons that that this convenience, these floaty chairs, we've traded all that quality and human interaction for It's It's unproportional. And for those old enough to remember, we realized that this is the devil's handshake, man, What we're getting in return is not equal to what we're giving up, plain and simple.
1: So here's something I'd like to throw to you, too, since you've both got 10 years on me. What did people do, let's say, in the 70s? They would get together, have block parties? Is that a term you guys are familiar with?
2: Sure. Is that not a thing anymore?
1: Well, I'm just old enough to remember a block party we had when I was very, very, very young. Late 70s this would have been, and nearly everyone on... The block I lived on, and a little further, all got together. They had picnic tables all pulled together and eating and drinking and making merry. Now, I was only a few years old and I was just kind of wandering around on my big wheel at the time, but you would have been old enough to at least interact a lot more. So, what did people do before their faces were buried in a phone? This might be interesting, especially for the younger people out there who have never known a time before these technological devices became strapped permanently to your face.
0: Much more closely tied to the natural world where truth exists. For one thing, television in the 70s was a thing that got looked at for a short period of time at night for most families. Matter of fact, some families didn't even have TVs for a while. I was in a family where we didn't get a color television till well into the 80s, which probably put us a bit behind the curve for most families. But here's the thing. Back in the 70s, it was common, I mean common, for people to plan camping trips all the time. Uh, movies were an occasional thing and generally it it had to be movies that, that had a name. Like if Dr. Zhivago was coming out or something, the family might go to that. Or if a new Disney film was coming out, they might go. It was not an all the time thing. It was a special event for the most part. People coming over for dinner, having pool parties, uh, going on hikes, going on sailboats. These types of things were, were what most families that I knew were doing in the seventies. And it was completely at a much lower level in terms of what entertainment had brought. But let's face it, the seeds were already there. Star Trek, 66. Batman, 66. Look what Batman is now. He's the Dark Knight now. You know, money never sleeps. It's not money that's not sleeping. It's the people who value the money that aren't sleeping. And by the way, we could say the same thing about Batman. The first Batman was for every member of the family. We put bath towels on as capes and run around that campy family entertainment. Look what it is now. Is that family entertainment? I'm guessing in 66, if someone had any inkling of what the Joker and the Batman had become, they'd be horrified to see the dark, ugly, gritty nature of what's now acceptable as so-called family
2: entertainment. This is the trade-off that we're making yeah, I think this information age with technology has taken the kids out of nature. I think that's by design. Uh, when I was a kid, we used to build dams in the river. Uh, we used to build bike tracks in the woods and tree forts and uh, spend so much time outside. You know, we'd you'd have, have to walk down the street and knock on your friend's door to see if they were around because their sister was on the only phone in the house. The fear porn,
0: David, is another thing.
2: So not only have people
0: left nature, which is the only place the truth can be found. You can't um, go this, outside. Yeah, this fear porn, these helicopter parents have been convinced that their you know, kid's going to get snatched. When I was 12 years old or younger, here's some of the things that I was allowed to do. When I proved to my father that I could tie three knots, a bowline, a half hitch, and I don't remember the other one, all related to being able to safely bring a boat to the mooring and tie it. I was given full rein of a Boston whaler that was 10 feet long with a 10 horsepower motor. And I could go all the way down miles and miles and miles to open ocean, be gone all day fishing or whatever I was doing. And it was expected that not only would I be okay, I would come home when I was supposed to. I could put the boat away, safely tie it up in case there was wind. At the same time, we had regattas in our neighborhood when we were in Rhode Island where all the young children were taught how to sail boats. And so each boat had a different speed, so it would be given a number. The fastest boat was a force five. It was worth one point. The slowest boat was worth five points. So you see how that works if you win a race. But here's the rub. At that age, I would be out in the Boston Whaler with one of my friends who was my age, and we were the lifeguards. In other words, every parent on that beach was confident that our swimming abilities were enough and our boating skills enough that if a young person's boat went down, we could get them out of the situation. That's 12, 13 years old, we're far away from that now. So not only have we been separated from nature, um, nature in a way has been demonized because you can't take your eye off that kid. Sure, as God made little green apples, the boogeyman's going to snatch him or some other thing. And this is a direct result, again, of entertainment because that's what news is. For those of you that are not aware, President Obama, among other people, changed the Smith-Munt Act, which said that news cannot propagandize or outright lie to its own people. So we had a president of this country who took the effort to undo that. Why would he do that? It's why people are afraid. Turn off your damn news and you'll quit being so afraid all the time. And by the way, everything you've been told is a damn lie. Everything. By law, it's now legal to lie for a living on the news. And I just told you the start point. Go look up the Smith-Munt Act. It was put in place during wartime. To ensure that the news was not propagandizing its own people. The rub is is that it was perfectly okay for our news to propagandize other countries. But as I said, in the modern era, post 9-11, it became okay to propagandize us.
2: How can you be a thinking American citizen, for lack of a better word, and allow that law to be taken off? There's no reason whatsoever in any way you look at it for that law to be taken away. That's right. There's only
0: one intent there, and it's obvious on the face of it. It means the news will now propagandize you and lie to you. It underscores the fact that a very small number of corporations own all the major news outlets. And what do corporations do? Who does a corporation serve? Does anyone out there in the world have an adult enough mind to understand who a corporation serves? A corporation does not serve. The customer never has. They may make an effort They may make a public face, but the truth of it is a corporation serves the board of directors and the shareholders, more directly, the board of directors. That's the facts, Jack. So now that you know corporations have been given free permission to use news, what they call news, to lie and make up things wholesale. Without breaking any rule or law, you should understand a thing or two that probably most adults in the room would not just shuffle under the rug and say, "Wait a minute, why am I watching news?"
1: That pretty much brings us to the top of the hour here, but there's one thing I'd like to point out for our one listeners before we go, and that's that the story that Crow is telling about being out in the boat 12 years old. Think about the amount of input that his brain would be taking in compared to someone today. I bet the crow's mind was much more still and at peace than anybody today strapped to a phone who every 30 seconds needs new input. Their minds must whirl beyond all belief in a way that was never seen
0: before. Well, there's another critical point I chose not to mention because I don't want to come off as fear porny, but there were times when young boys do silly things because they're young boys and we got into serious situations. But we were there to get ourselves out of it. That's growing up. That's part of life. That's being able to deal with things that come later in life when you come to the edge and you take that breath where it gets real, really quick, and it ain't a game anymore. But there's no parent, no adult there. You have to deal. That happened on a number of occasions. And each time it happens, it teaches you not to be so nonchalant with your safety. And it teaches you that when you get in a situation like that, you can get yourself out of it. Numbers of times I can count on. But anyhow, that does bring the first hour of episode 185 to a close. Uh, Thank you, David. We'll see you over on the other side. And just so nobody is confused, when we get to the second hour, it's going to run off my server where I serve my own media so that we can exercise free speech at a higher level. Um, we do the best we can here, but the truth of it is, is there's quite an audience here on YouTube, and it would be a shame for me to just simply throw it away when I can moderate and offer some interesting ideas and hopefully get people to participate in the conversation.
2: For the people listening to hour one, um, if there's people, if anyone that's listening to this that's new to this information, especially new to the fact that we don't live on a spinning globe and the Earth might be flat, I'm available for interviews. I love talking to people that. Think Flat Earth is stupid or has just questions about it. And you can reach me at info at the flat podcast.com You've got a challenge. What's your challenge with your app? So I, I have an app. It's called the Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac Clock App. And uh it shows you how the sun travels around in a circle. But every day the app serves you a new video um, that I I transmit out to all of the apps across the plane. And my challenge is if you listen, if you watch one video a day for two weeks, get the app, watch a video for two weeks, there's absolutely no way that you will believe you live on a spinning ball when you're done. The messages I'm getting since I made that challenge on the SGT report recently, people are saying, thought Flat Earth was stupid. I got your app. Instead of waiting the two weeks, I just went to the archives and watched everything in two days. Oh, my God, we don't live on a spinning ball. Thank you. So the reason I have the app is to help wake people up. That is what I feel my calling is right now. We, you know, I asked you, Crow, before the beginning of the show, why do you do this? And the reason is because we're, we're tired of this world, the deception, and we want to wake people up. So there it is, the Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac Clock app. Check it out. All right, man, there it is. And I was about to ask you to recite all that. So.
0: It's a good thing you got it in because I wanted to get the app information. But how do we close an episode like this that's nebulous with a lot of key ideas in it? Maybe we should go back to the social programming of our youth. How about we choose a band like the Beatles? Here's one of the things the Beatles told us. Nothing is real, but nothing to get hung about. Join us over at Hour 2 of 185 at crow 7 radiocom where We're going to hit it out of the park as we always do. There it is, man. Cheers. <laughs>